please consider making a donation to the Historians Podcast Fund Drive. You'll find the link to our GoFundMe campaign for 2023 and podcast information and also how to donate by mail right on our website, which is bobcudmore.com. My name is Devin Lander. I am the New York State Historian here at the State Museum in Albany, and I'm here to talk about the 250th planning that is taking place both at the national level and at the state level and at some point at the local level as we move forward to the commemoration of the Declaration of Independence and the American Revolution, which is quickly coming up in uh, 2025 here in New York State. Uh, the big date, of course, is 2026 in commemoration of 1776, but then also uh, looking at the, uh, the revolutionary era up to and including uh, 1783, so for New York State would be 2033, uh, and really talking about the kind of 250 years of history that has happened here in New York since the founding of our country. Devin Lander is with us. He is New York State historian. You've been in the, that position now for how many years? Well, I'm going into, let's see, uh, seven. my seventh year will be in May of, of 23. I was hired in 2016, so uh, uh, it's been almost seven years. And you said that the big project, and it was when we interviewed you last year, just about a year ago, it was also a pending big project, is the uh, 250th anniversary of America and the American Revolution. What plans have been made? What are what are we going to do? Well, the state has uh, finally passed a, a bill creating a commission. Uh, that passed in February of last year and was signed by Governor Hochul. Uh, so that really gives an apparatus and a, a structure for a, a statewide commission that will help facilitate planning and programming at the local level across the state. And the commission hasn't met yet, and there's a reason for that, and that's because the some of the appointed members have not been named yet. Um, that's slowly happening. The Senate majority, which received three appointments, has made their appointments. Uh, Senate minority uh, receives one and they have made theirs. The assembly minority has made their one appointment, and we're still waiting on Governor Hochul and the assembly majority to make their appointments to the commission. So the commission is made up of 13 appointed members, as well as several state agency uh, commissioners and heads. Uh, the state historian is named the, the head of our tourism apparatus in the state, uh, the Isle of New York campaign, and the Office of General Services. And the commission is co-chaired by the commissioner of the Office of Parks, Recreation, and Historic Preservation, which oversees, of course, our state historic sites, as well as the State Education Department commissioner, which is the person I work for. The State Museum, Library, and Archives are part of uh, the State Ed Department mm -hmm. here in New York State. So those are the two co-chairs. So it's really a uh, an initiative to uh, try to coordinate again and, and facilitate uh, planning uh, at the at the regional and local level. There is a lot going on at the local level as well. More and more local commissions or committees uh, are are popping up. For example, uh, Saratoga County has named its own commission, and they are up and running, and they are uh, doing programming and and planning. We also see uh, uh, committees and commissions in, in Orange County, Dutchess County, uh, Ulster County. Um, there's activity taking place in Tompkins County, 
also Long Island and, and farther in western New York as well. And and I'm really trying to encourage uh, through our apparatus of local government historians here in New York that um, the localities create some sort of uh, entity that will you know help coordinate and facilitate planning at the regional level because that's really where the uh, the ideas for programming, the uh, the need for um, you know oversight and whatever type of funding may be available, that's where those ideas will be generated. Uh, it shouldn't mm-hmm. be a top-down type of approach. It really should come from the locales and the, the regions. So, because we do have you know our network of local government historians across the state, um, those that's really an opportunity for those active workers to to be kind of leading the the charge in their own communities and their own municipalities. It is complicated and I was, don't want to throw you in or anything like that but I mean I would imagine you'd like things to move faster than they move. We are behind the clock. I, I am very frank with that uh, declaration. Other states are ahead of us. Uh, many of our neighboring states um, have had commissions up and running, including Pennsylvania, New Jersey, Massachusetts. Uh, more and more states are, are, are coming on board, um, you know, as we speak across the nation. Um, so we're a little behind. Um, we're not so far behind that we're, you know, can't accomplish anything. But I would like it to move fast, um, of course, but I understand the realities of uh, politics in Albany and, mm-hmm. and things take time. And, you know, we just came out of an, an election and I'm cautiously hopeful that uh, we'll see some <laughs> movement here early in, in this year with the commission so that uh, it can get up and running and, and, and start uh, doing its, uh, you know, important planning work and and uh, again, working with the local commissions and committees and, and trying to come up with, you know, programs and, and events that it would like to uh, support. So um, I, I remain optimistic. I, I know that we, uh, we can accomplish great things here in New York. So and we, again, have a network of historians that most other states, all but maybe Connecticut, I think is the only other state that has municipal historians. You know, most other states don't have this statewide apparatus that we have. So I think that uh, we have a rich variety of history, as you know, Bob, all around the state and every corner of the state uh, that we can uh, plug into the commemoration of, of the 250th, as well as, again, the 250 years since the American Revolution and, and really thinking about how the revolution was incomplete in many ways. And over time, groups and, and people, and it's played out in New York, have really, you know, continued to struggle to uh, reach the ideals of the revolution of equality and freedom and liberty and, and how that's played out in New York and places like Seneca Falls with the suffrage movement, the Underground Railroad movement, the abolition movement in New York State. So we have many uh, sites of revolution around the state that can be plugged into um, this concept of, uh, you know, the continuing evolution mm-hmm. of, of our state and our nation. It does seem that New England... Uh, gets the attention in terms of the American Revolution, but New York State uh, was a was a major player. I mean, m- important things happened here. Uh, there was the Battle of Saratoga. There was George Washington's army kicked out of uh, Brooklyn. There was uh, the new state uh, constitution uh, created by meetings up in uh, Kingston. I had a fascinating talk with 
a man who's written a book about uh, Kingston. I was surprised, number one, that Kingston's not that huge a city, but it, it certainly has that place in history, or as this that gentleman said, uh, at least it was a capital of the state for 20 minutes or for a short period of time around, uh, the, uh, actually, I think it was around the Battle of Saratoga. You're absolutely correct, and I think that's one of the great opportunities that the 250th presents for New York State is to position New York as central to the history of the American Revolution, as well as, again, the the evolution of the nation over the last 250 years. There are many sites directly related to the American Revolution. You mentioned Saratoga. I mean, we really couldn't have a, the revolution as we know it uh, without the success of the the battles of Saratoga. Most historians have concluded that that's one of the most important battles, and certainly in in uh, you know Western history, uh, it's an opportunity to kind of reposition New York as central to that story. You're right, New England, because it's considered the birthplace of the revolution. Um, they, they've taken that uh, mantle, and that's fine. And Virginia uh, has also done a very good job in positioning its history as instrumental to the, the end of the American Revolution. But I would argue that the revolution was saved at Saratoga and in New mm-hmm. York State. And you're right, there are other uh, important examples of uh, battles and events that, t- that took place. Um, we also have one of the more complex and, and uh, you know, controversial events to take place during the American Revolution, which was the Sullivan-Clinton campaign, mm-hmm. um, and, and, you know, all of that, that that meant to our indigenous population and, and displacement of, of um, many of the, the peoples that lived in uh, central and western New York as a result of that. So, I mean, there's many stories, there's many... Uh, again, layers sure. of the history, uh, and, and places like Kingston, which I was just at for the um, Association of Public Historians Conference in September, and I've been there many times, but I, I always am also uh, struck by uh, how much history is there and, and the fact that it was the capital briefly and, and that we ha- there are so many sites like Senate House and, and other sites in Kingston that are, have been preserved and are still, uh, you know, able to be visited mm-hmm. and enjoyed. And really, you get a sense walking around that area uh, that um, that history is still there and it's very much alive. And um, we have so many examples of that around the state. Sure. Um, so, yes, uh, so again, that's an opportunity. Uh, Devin Lander with us. He is New York State historian. Uh, my home uh, base, and we frequently uh, talk about the Mohawk Valley, um, you know, cover in particular Amsterdam and Johnstown and, and Gloversville. And one uh, theme I hear up there, uh, and that the, and the local historians, I think, hope it will be covered adequately in this uh, context of the commemorating the birth of the nation and just in in general in history is the royal or the role that the loyalists played the people that stayed loyal to the british crown during the revolution certainly the patriots didn't like it and these loyalists allied with native americans uh, were able to prolong the fighting in the Mohawk Valley for a long time. I mean, do you think we should pay more attention to loyalists or because they were, in a sense, on the losing side of history, maybe we've done enough? 
I think you raise a great point, Bob, and it's very timely for us to be thinking about this because I agree that in the past, you know, the the winners uh, write the history and loyalists and loyalism had, has been kind of uh, cast aside, but that's that's uh, changing, and it's especially changing at the academic level. There's more and more uh, monographs and books coming out about loyalists, about the uh, the effects of the revolution on um, those who remain loyal to uh, the king of, of Great Britain, and uh, some exciting stuff coming out in the near future related to New York as well. And I think it's very much a New York story. Uh, there was a large contingent of loyalists in New York State, Long Island, for example, parts of New York City. You mentioned the Mohawk Valley. Uh, and I think um, it's certainly something that we're considering uh, at the state level of how to interpret that, how to prioritize that story, or at least include that story, um, how uh, in many ways the revolution, and again, this has played out in uh, your neck of the woods in the Mohawk Valley, really uh, very closely is is it was in many ways a civil war um mm-hmm. neighbors fighting neighbors uh and that's some reason i think why um some of the warfare out in what was known then as the frontier was so uh bloody because it was somewhat personal um there was <laughs> personal vendettas they weren't sure. uh, fighting unknown uh british uh troops from uh, England, you know, they're, they're fighting people they knew, and, and, and uh, so I think that played a, a large role in that. And it's one of the, uh, as we talk about here at the state, and I know the American Association of State and Local History, which is a national organization, is also uh, talking about um, uncovering these uh, underrepresented stories uh, of the revolution, uh, the role of women, the role of uh, both enslaved African Americans and free blacks, and the role of loyalists, uh, mm-hmm. and the, the you know the position of loyal loyalists. Why would someone determine to be a loyalist as opposed to a patriot? Mm-hmm. And we really are thinking about um, you know those those discussions and trying to highlight you know the complexity of the American Revolution that. In a lot of ways, these were personal decisions that people made it for their families or for themselves on which side they would uh, come down on and and you know understanding the reasons for that and and understanding that these were were people too you know they're not uh, some sort of demon that uh, you know was just right. out for their own uh, benefit um you know so i I, I do think that's a that's again another opportunity for us to talk about. Um, a large segment of New York's colonial population that remain loyal. Let me bring up one uh, specific. I'm I'm sure you've heard something about it, but there is one, I I think you'd say, loyalist building that exists in my hometown of Amsterdam. It's the oldest building in Amsterdam, uh, Guy Park Manor, which was badly damaged in the flooding that happened with uh, the tropical storms, Irene and, and Lee, and the state has has uh, always owned it, I believe, or has owned it for a number of uh, a number of years, and they've been restoring it as a as a building. Uh, but now here it here it is. It's it's there, and it's in, in you know in better shape year by year. Some have suggested, some of my uh, friends in uh, the Mohawk Valley, that that would be a good place for a loyalist museum because uh, Guy. It was Guy Johnson, who was related to the uh, well-known Johnson family. He was the nephew of Sir William Johnson, the British Indian agent. 
and this house was built for him a few years before the revolution. He and his wife and family lived there for a few years, but then decamped to uh, Canada. Do you, do you think that idea has traction, or do you know what the future will be of uh, Guy Park Manor? I don't. Um, I'm My assumption, and I'm pretty sure that it's uh, a property of... Uh, the Office of Parks, Recreation, and Historic Preservation as a historic site, so I'm not sure what their interpretive plan will be. I'm sure that will be part of it, though. You mentioned the Johnson family and, and of course, Johnson Hall in Johnstown, which I was recently at also over the summer celebrating the uh, 250th anniversary of the courthouse there, which is the oldest courthouse in New York State, and was founded by William Johnson. So, um, That is a a deep and long history of the British involvement in that region and the associations that Johnson was able to establish that lasted even beyond his death. And you mentioned his son, Guy Johnson, and and the rest of the family that remain loyal. Um, I think it would be a a place and a great place for the opportunity to tell um, that story and and do it in a, um, you know, a uh, empathetic Type way and, and an understanding way of why again why why would you make these decisions to remain loyal as opposed to patriot? Uh, but I don't have any firsthand sure. knowledge. I, I I would um, you know suggest uh, maybe talking to some of my colleagues at state parks to see what they're they're planning on. But I'm glad to hear because I did I did see photos of the damage after the floods and it was horrible. And I'm so glad that they're mm-hmm. moving forward with the restoration. If I could be so bold to make a little correction, I think you just misspoke and called Guy Sir William's son. It was his, actually his nephew, uh, and uh, oh, his son okay. was John Johnson, who also w- was involved in the Loyalist cause or very key uh, leading uh, Loyalist uh, raids in the in the Mohawk Valley against the uh, Patriot side. One other figure, uh, a historical figure, or it's like a little incident here in upstate New York in the and now we're moving over to the Capital District. My friend uh, Chris Carolla, who's a retired AP reporter, uh, did a story about at the Times Union about the uh, state capitol, which has a statue, no, not a statue exactly, but a, a sculpture of the head of uh, Joseph Brandt, the well-known um, uh, Mohawk Indian chief who fought against um, the... Uh, Patriot cause, and the question was, why would they put him on the, this this state building? And I guess the thing was, the reputations change. I mean, um, Joseph Brandt fought very vigorously for uh, the British and the in the Mohawks uh, during the Revolution, but afterward he, he worked as a diplomat, you know, trying to negotiate between uh, George Washington's government and other uh, Indian nations. So. It's a complex matter. Yeah, absolutely, and I think you're right by by saying that the complexity, again, with the relationship between the various uh, Haudenosaunee nations and uh, either the British side or the Patriot side uh, was complex, and it was different from from tribe to tribe and, and, you know, remained that way throughout, you know, the post-revolutionary era. I think Joseph Brandt is an example of somebody whose reputation has changed, and 
perhaps from the era in which he lived, although I think he was well-respected even then. As you mentioned, he became a diplomat after the revolution, so I think he um, has always been a, um, a kind of an iconic figure from that era in a way that's interesting to me because um, you don't see that kind of stature uh, arise from many of the loyalists <laughs> uh, who were perhaps uh, colonialists or British in origin. Uh, you, you don't see their um, reputation. You don't see sculptures of them or paintings of them for the most part. William Johnson is a exception. But um, with Brandt, you do see that, and I think um, it has a lot to do with um, the role he played after the revolution, as well as the general um, respect that he held, um, and that, um, of course, his sister Molly Brandt also uh, had great esteem uh, among the loyalists and, and the colonialists in general. Devin Lander with us, the New York State historian. In general, we've been talking about the coming uh, 250th anniversary of uh, the creation of the United States of America. What can people do? (laughs) If people have sort of an interest in history, um, how would they, is there something they can jump on board here? Yeah, I think, well, and that's, that's where we're, we're heading in a direction, I think, hopefully very soon, where we can do some public announcements. Uh, we can bring a website forward that we've been working on that will have events calendar and information on everything that's happening around the state uh, related to 250. Um, and so I would say keep an eye out for that. But for now, um, I, you know, again, r- local and regional 250th organizations are are popping up. And if you have an interest, I would talk to your local historian, uh, perhaps your local historical society, talk to them about what their plans are. And, um, you know, because that's the kind of more uh, immediate place that you could become involved if you have an interest. Um, Mm -hmm. You can learn, you know, what their planning is happening. Are are there exhibits that they're uh, thinking about, you know, um, events, things like that, how, how to become involved in that. So, Again, it's really, a, uh, I, I look at this as a grassroots uh, type of initiative. It's an opportunity that only comes around every 50 years. So mm-hmm. uh, it's, um, it's, it's really a, a something that I hope that there's a, a groundswell of interest. I hope it brings uh, a lot of interest to our local history. That's, that's um, always a priority of ours. Another major part of the history is the fact that expansion of America passed through New York, uh, through the, uh, the, the uh, basically flatland between the Catskills and the Adirondacks, and the creation of the Erie Canal was just this, this huge, um, I don't know, development in the, the commerce of America. Yeah, absolutely. And you, you bring up the Erie Canal. Uh, obviously, we're, we're coming up on a commemoration uh, regarding the Erie Canal. The completion of the Erie Canal in 1825 is coming up here in the next less than two years. Uh, so that's another um, major commemoration um, that, that is another opportunity to highlight the role of the Erie Canal and, and westward expansion and, and the creation of what you know, became known as the Empire State, really was, uh, I would say, uh, as a result of, of the creation of the Erie Canal and being able to move commerce back and forth 
in a much more efficient way and, and really ma- making New York a leader um, as a port as well as uh, shipping and and then the movement of people and ideas from east to west across the state as well. So uh, that's another uh, example of um, there are many chunks of history, as you said, um, that are taking place uh, in the next uh, few years here. Another commemoration is coming up in uh, 2027 is the 200th uh, anniversary of the uh, gradual emancipation finally taking place in New York State, which, of course, uh, led to the the final uh, abolishment of slavery in New York State. A lot of people don't think of New York as a slave state, but it certainly was, and it lingered for many years. Uh, and, um, you know, that's another opportunity for us to talk about uh, a complex era of our, our state's history and, and what that meant and, and how um, that relates to this, again, this, this ongoing uh, evolution of, of and struggle, really, f- to reach the ideals of the Revo- American Revolution and the Declaration of Independence. And another large chunk of history is uh, the environment, the uh, creation of the Adirondack Preserve, which was really a groundbreaking idea, but it was done not by the federal government, but by the state. Yeah. Um, again, we, we look at uh, the environmental movement in New York State as, as being groundbreaking and really revolutionary. You mentioned the Adirondack Park. That's a, a still the, you know, the largest park in North America and perhaps the world. I'm not sure. But uh, it is, uh, yeah, and it was an undertaking by the state. Uh, we le- think about the American environmental movement and a lot of uh, the ideas and, and um concepts behind that originated out of the preservation of the Adirondacks, but also the attempt to preserve uh, the Hudson Valley and the Hudson River and, uh, you know, the modern environmental movement. Uh, New York State was also the first state to have a a state park, the Niagara uh, Reservation, as it was known. Niagara Falls and the reservation out there uh, was the first state park in the nation. So we also had the first uh, state historic site in the nation in Washington's headquarters, which was the first site that was acquired with public funding um, in 1848. So, um, yeah, we have this long history of of preservation, of environmental preservation, of inv- of the environmental movement, and and uh, the importance of uh, preserving our natural environment, and and also ensuring that it's uh, clean and usable for future generations. And a lot of that originates in in New York State. We're kind of a focal point in immigration, especially from you know people who em- immigrated into America through New York City. Yeah, uh, again, this is another one of our um, kind of themes that we're thinking about is the diversity of New York, and that goes back to the colonial era. It really goes back even to the Dutch, uh, New Netherlands, and and how uh, open they were to, uh, you know, different types of religion and different types of uh, background and uh, of, of of immigrants, as long as they were, you know, taking part in business or farming, you know, they were kind of open. Uh, and that has remained during the uh, colonial era. New York City was the most diverse uh, uh, port in, in North America. and remains that way today. Uh, we have a, a vibrant and strong history of of waves of immigration um, going back to the again the colonial era and continuing with with large numbers coming throughout the 19th century and 
early 20th century, and, and we think of Ellis Island and the Statue of Liberty as the symbol of of welcoming of, of uh, new immigrants to this nation. But it continues to this day. I mean, we, we remain a, a diverse uh, state that attracts uh, immigrants from all over the nation, or excuse me, all over the world. Uh, and, and those stories are, are are interesting parts of our history and and how immigrants have, have made a life for themselves in different parts of the state or in different ways. The Erie Canal was one way that opened up, uh, uh, you know, the western parts of the state to, to immigrants, uh, both both uh, from abroad and, and domestic from New England. Uh, but many Irish laborers took part in creating the Erie Canal. Uh, so, you know, there, we have these stories. And um, again, an embarrassment of riches in New York as mm. far as history. Our guest on the Historians Podcast has been Devin Lander, New York State historian. I'm Bob Cudmore. You may donate to the Historians Podcast by clicking the GoFundMe link on our website, bobcudmore.com, or send a check to 125 Horseman Drive, Scotia, 12302, and thank you very much.